Welcome, everyone, and especially welcome to Virginia Drake. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for inviting me. I mean, I am so glad somebody, I think you all are starting to hear a lot of things about what's happened, and I'm excited about this new world that's starting to happen with people. So thank you so much for inviting me. My pleasure. Um, you know, just to tell everyone how we got connected, um, you know, many know that I have, I'm the founder of Zone School of Healing, which is a school of healing for any doctor or healer, chiropractors, acupuncturists, naturopaths, medical doctors, energy workers, anyone who's a doctor, anyone who's a doctor or healer of any type, of course, is welcome to join my school. And one of my members, we have about, um, I don't even know how many members, I think we have 1300 members and growing fast. One of the members who's a chiropractor in Ohio wrote me an email. He said, Pete, there's a woman named Virginia Drake who had a very interesting experience. And um, what she talks about is incredibly similar to what you teach us, coincidentally or not coincidentally. And he knows that I also have a podcast. And he said, you should you should interview her. So anyway, that's how we got connected. Is that Elwood? Elwood, yeah, Dr. Elwood. Yeah, I wanted to give him a shout out there because he contacted me very quickly and he gave me um, some more inspiration to go out and keep on talking. Good. <laughs> so, yeah. So let me let me um let me do this. Let me start with this. In 1998, you had, if I'm not mistaken, what would be known as the near death experience. And when you had that near death experience in 1998, either during it and or after it, you had several realizations, which has taken you down other paths. Right. Can you talk just to start things off a little bit about what happened in 1998? Absolutely. Um I was 46 years old, and what it started out is, you know, I was uh, getting ready to end, uh, end, uh, stop school for the end of the year, and we're going to start summer break. So it was about two weeks before, I think, and three, three, three weeks before that, I had an acid reflux reaction. And so I had to be pulled out of class. They brought me in with an ambulance. And this is just a preview of coming attractions. So, you know, and as soon as I got into the emergency room, they put that uh, stuff in your mouth. And it was like, oh, my gosh, I'm alive, you know, because it was really painful. But it wasn't anything like the heart attack that I'm going to tell you about. So the next couple of weeks, I never thought anything about it. I had pills. And one day I was in the garden. I had a farm, 11 acres and a farm, you know, animals and all of that. So I had just walked out of the garden and I was heading into my den and I just sat down and the TV was running because we had six TVs at the time. So it, they were going off all the time. So I'm just sitting there and all of a sudden this man was talking and I don't know if he, what station it was on or channel it was on. But he, he looked like he was 90 years old. He had oxygen and he kept saying, don't get a heart transplant. And I thought, okay, he's had a heart transplant. It looks pretty bad on him. Now, in 1998, that is not even equivalent, you know, equivalent to the ones that, are, that near, you know, are the transplants that are the way are damn. Because in 1998, that was still an experience, you know, or an experiment. So he was talking about, and he but he kept coming into the screen while I'm sitting there. And he's like, don't get a heart transplant. And I think that is that I don't know why he's saying that, you know, because you're sitting there thinking there is nobody else around me. Nobody is even near me, but he keeps focusing to me. And I kept thinking, what is 
And then finally, he says it really clear. And I'm thinking, I am really freaked out now. He's talking to me. I know he is. So I raised my hand. I said, I'm 46 years old. I walk four miles a day. I go up in steps because my uh, classroom was on the third flight. So I went in down 24 hours a day. You're up and down. And I had flight steps. You know, so I thought, and I said, I'll never get a heart transplant. I'm not going to even have a heart attack. The next week, I'm looking at one. And I mean, I was the, it was the first day of summer break and I was in my classroom with my uh, younger son and a couple of students and we were taking my bulletin boards down, you know, and I just, over the weekend, I just kind of relaxed. I think when you do relax, when your body finally gets out of the stress and all of that, you, and I had a massive heart attack. I was having one thinking it was the acid reflux. And so I kept thinking, going down the steps, thinking, I'll just hit some Coca-Cola, that'll burp, and I'll be fine. Well, that didn't happen. And so the thing that got my attention was this. I leaned over on the trash can, and I just was perspiring so deeply that I was dropping it into the trash can. And I said, that's not normal. You know, immediately, because I'm a lifeguard. I was a lifeguard, and I was a water safety instructor. So I knew all of the signs that I was looking at, and I thought, that is not normal. So I walked down to my secretary. I didn't want to let, uh, you know, alert the children or the kids. And I said, there is something not right, you know. And she looked at me, and she said, you need to go home right now. So we called my older son. He picked me up because we're in a small town. He said, leave the car. We'll pick it up, or somebody will pick it up. I said, okay. I got in there and I still heard it. And I thought, well, I'm going to get in the hot tub because we had a hot tub room. I mean, I thought I either pulled a shoulder, you know, something. And I got in and I put my knees up to that point and went out and I, and I immediately got out and vomited outside because I had a room and I was on a farm. So it didn't bother me. I thought I'm like, like that. And I thought that just, uh, and I was perspiring. So I went up to three more flights of you know, stairs and I thought, I'll just lay down. Well, what really got me is my two cats. I have two, I had two cats at the time, Ike and Tina. And they were great, but they were looking at me the strangest I've never, and I mean, it was like this. And I thought, there's something not right here. I mean, I didn't feel good. I thought it was acid reflux. And all of a sudden, a very small little voice said, you need to go into the bathroom and look in the mirror. I thought, okay. And I got over. But now I was ashed grayed, you know, pale. My eyes were already rolling back into my, because I've already seen dead people when I was younger. So I, already, I thought, and I ran down the steps. Now, my husband at the time was talking to my doctor and he was telling him, there was going to, he said, we'll get you more, you know, medication. It was, I said, no. And I had my hands like this. I said, no, I need to go to the hospital now or the ER. And uh, he said, well, yeah, no, no. I said, no. And I had 15 minutes to get there because I was from the farm. So I remember th these are just funny things you re realize that you're doing all this. So my husband is still thinking it's acid reflux. And so he said, I'm going to park the car. I'll drop you off at the ER and I'll meet you over there. <laughs> well, I remember I came in like this and the receptionist said, I said, hi, this is, you know, who I was and everything. And all of a sudden she said, you're going into the back. And I thought, oh, 
Now, I was a community person. I was at a country clubber. I mean, I had, a, you know, this small town. So everybody, I thought, oh, they know me because I'm a teacher. That's why, you know, because they had a, a group of people waiting in the ER. So they rushed me in and I, and there was a woman in there with me that I went to high school with, uh, Janet Brandingberg, but we called her Punky. And she said, what are you doing back in here like that? And I said, oh, I think it's that acid reflux. And so another nursing person came in. It was a man. And he said, let's just give her that because she was in here just three weeks ago, blah, 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 you know. And I thought, oh, good, that'll get rid of it and I'll be fine. Well, they gave that to me, and guess what? It ejected out of my mouth right to the wall. And lay them down on the table, and they said, this is a heart attack. And I mean, they, and things, everything then. I went out of my body. I knew exactly what I did. I went out of my body, and I could see myself sitting in the corner of the ER, terrified and saying, who said that? Did they just tell me that I would, what? Am I heaven? You know, I mean, and you then you come back into your body. I'm trying to explain a lot of people because I've been in and out of body so many times. It doesn't it doesn't bother me to go in because you don't even realize you're in and out. So I would go back in, and the next thing I'm looking in my solar plexus, and all of this action is going in there, and everybody's going, "Oh, she's having a heart attack!" And I thought, "Is that possible? How come I'm not seeing it from my eyes? I'm seeing it from my solar plexus." And I thought, that doesn't work. No, so everything in a near-death experience like mine it doesn't correlate into reality. You're in, in, out, over here. You can just pause, see- Just pause. I just want to ask one quick question. If, if I might just interject one moment. When you said um, about, you know, what you experience during a near-death experience doesn't correlate with reality, is that, in your opinion- because you are actually tapping into actual reality and the so-called reality is not the reality or is it something else? It's illusion. You're living in illusion. Uh, and when I realized that there was two worlds going on, but I had not elated to, you know, equated to that until I went back as a, you know, I had to really go into this heart attack because it made me see something different. Now, when I'm going through the ER at my hometown, they're talking about everything. And I mean, you could, I mean, it was the weirdest thing because my ex, my husband at the time, he went to go get the kids when they announced to him that I was having a massive heart attack. He went and ran to get the children. Now, then my next, uh, my principal at school, she's intuitive. Both of us were intuitive. She called my younger son and asked where I was doing. And he said, she's in the ER. She came to the ER. She met me and she went into the uh, the ambulance with me. Uh, and why I say that, that was an important factor because it's about prayer. So I'm really looking at all of this. And when they told me, I thought this is so here comes the you know the uh, emergency, not the emergency, the ambulance drivers coming in and they're talking. But the thing is, he starts talking as he's wheeling me into the ambulance. He said, she's not going to make it. And I heard him say it. And I kept thinking, that is not correct. You should not be able to do that. Why would he say that? You know, I was, I'm a teacher. I'm a, you know, lifeguard. I was in water safety. So I knew you don't say that to somebody that's in the process of either drowning or dying. So I thought, I was really mad at him. I thought, I'm just really mad about this whole thing, but they're not being nice to me. And because this is what I want people to understand. You, you go out of reality 
and you come back into reality. So you go through the illusion because of the logic that you're trying to figure out, but then you're in a supernatural uh, development that you can't correlate because you're trying to figure it out. So I remember uh, the nur I mean, uh, the nun came in because I was a Catholic educator. And Marcia came in and said, I'm going to go with you. And I thought, oh, thank God she's going. Now, I heard every prayer that she started praying. She called the school. She called all the staff. Everybody in my area was praying for me. And I could feel them. I could feel the intensity of what is going on. But yet I'm still in and out of the reality and the illusion. So you don't really get the full thing of it. And then all of a sudden... I'm in like outside of the ambulance. I'm riding right next to it. I thought you can't be riding in the ambulance. You're driving in the right side of the ambulance and I don't have an ambulance. So none of this was making sense. I remember driving right up and I could see the uh, the ambulance driver. Now, I'm going into Lexington like this. And then I came back in. And the thing that I equate to that is there's a movie called Ghost. I don't know if you ever saw it. I've seen it, yeah. Uh, yeah, and he went his put his head in the train and came back. That's exactly what it felt like. I just went in and went back out, came back in. And I thought, that doesn't make sense. So then I came back out of the ambulance. And the next thing, it was like I had a uh, ponytail at the top of my head. And it jerked me. And I ended up landing in a room. And I mean, I could see everything, 360. It had stars, it planets, everything. But yet, there was 12 and they're not men or women. They were 12 people sitting in front of me or entities. And they had robes. They had golden rope around them. And I knew it was gold. But I knew I was sitting in a chair. And I mean, I was sitting just like that. I could feel the chair. I could, But I couldn't see my body anymore. And I could say, how does that work? How can, you, how can I see this? And how come I can see, feel this? So... And they would laugh. You could hear them giggle, but I could never see their faces. They were down like this. And I, I would ask questions. How did this work? And they would just giggle. And then the next thing, I was out of that room and I went right up into it, the universe. But I knew the universe was plasma because I'm a scientist too. So I knew this is plasma. And what it feels like is water because I was a water safety instructor. I was teacher. And so you can, you know, when you're working through water, you can feel the force of the water, but it does, it just moves out. That's exactly how the universe felt. It was just like water. So when I came back, I came back in when they pulled the, uh, the gurney out of the, you know, the car or the ambulance and it jumped me back into my body. And I remember I was laying down. Now I can't breathe. I am really distressed. They got me, you know, at the ER at my hometown, but I'm still hardly, hardly to breathe and everything. But as I'm looking up all of the lights and I said, this is just like an e uh, ER. And it was the series of that I'd seen on a TV, you know, many years ago. And I thought, because this is, again, in the end, you know, the illusion versus the logic. So, and I remember thinking, but I couldn't talk. It, people would ask me questions and I couldn't talk because it was too difficult to talk. And so, and it was like an anaconda and an elephant sitting on you. And so I'm sitting, I mean, I'm laying down and my dear friends from my my high school, I mean, school came in and they were all standing out me and they said, can you tell us through just closing your eyes once for yes and twice for no, can you answer any of those? And I said, yes. 
that. And I was so glad to see them because I was having this feeling that I'm not going to ever get out of this. I'm going to die. Now, I never said it out loud, but I remembered the sadness that rolled over. I'm not going to get to see my children because the nurses were getting ready to wheel me in to do the surgery. And they, they and I did get a stent. I was getting a stent. And I remember uh, my friends, the look on their faces were never like I'd ever seen before. You know, you knew there was some emotionally, physically, spiritually, whatever, you know, something's not right. So they, you know, we said, and I said, Where, where's my husband? You know, where's the kids? They said, he haven't got here yet. So, cause he had to go back to the house, which that's another 15 minutes bringing you back. So um, I remember they were wheeling me in and I knew it still makes me cry. And that was almost 26 years ago. I knew I would never see them again. And I thought, oh my God, that's the last people I'm gonna see, except the people that I am seeing in the operating room. So I was laying there and naturally the nurses come in and they're gloving up and they said, you know, you've had a heart attack. And I'm thinking, no kidding. <laughs> I'm having one right now. So, and they're giving me, oh, they're just really kind. And just, and then my cardiologist comes in. I do not know him at all. He's young, he's very feisty. And he leans, he had a pen in his pocket and he leaned down and I, the pin, I saw the pin drop out of his pocket. But the thing is, is also I recognized it that somewhere I went out of my own body and I saw that he didn't have booties on because he was just getting gloved up. He didn't have the uh, booties on, but I could see the pin on the floor. Now I'm laying on a table and he had Kohan shoes. Only reason why I knew about those Kohan shoes is because I used to wear a pair of them, $350. The first thing that came through my illusional mind is that's going to cost me money. He's going to cost me money if he puts a drop of blood of me in there. And I thought, I, you kind of look back and you think, that is the craziest thing. But go ask for NDEs. They don't, they'll say the same thing pretty much. So I remember all of a sudden, you know, uh, I'm still in and out. And then he turned, he said, this is what I'm going to do. And they put the growing, you know, the uh, needle in the growing because they were going to do a stent. And I said, would you please turn the screen over? I'm a teacher and I want to teach it. And he, I remember him saying, uh, you sure you want to do that? I said, yes. I was a veterinary tech also. So I, I knew blood. I knew all of that. So it was like, yeah, because I thought if I can teach kids this, I want to teach it. So I sit down and watch the whole thing and you can feel the vibration. And when he broke that clot in the aorta, I took a breath and was like, oh, I can go home. It was like having labor from your first child. <laughs> oh man, I can get off. And um, I remember all of them were going, you know, that's a good, you know, you did really well. And I mean, I felt, oh, but I was real tired. But also, I didn't realize I went in there, I think, about three o'clock in the uh, afternoon at the ER in my town, and it was already nine o'clock at night at the uh, uh, Central Baptist, the hospital. And I'm really lost in time because time is a big deal because when you're over, time doesn't exist. So I'm really having to collect but I'm hearing all this yelling and screaming out in the hallway. And I thought, is that my husband or no, it was my teaching friends because they were mad because father Frank couldn't come to the hospital to give me not the last rights, the you know, the rights of sickness. 
And that was Father Moore. And they were they were so upset because of Father Moore. And I remember saying, that is such a small detail. Who really cares after I've gone through this? So that kind of went through. And the next thing I know, I'm going into the ICU. And I thought I was in the ICU, but I wasn't. I was in a, a, it was a recovery room, obviously, with Father Moore. I guess he got in. So they said, we're going to take you somewhere else. And I went into the ICU on the third floor. And there was a woman. I just went by her. And we had just a curtain. And I knew she was in the process of dying. You could, you had an understanding there was more going on in there. So I'm just laying there and I'm totally aware. I mean, I'm alone. And I notice I was just kind of settling in, just trying to grab on what in the hell happened to me. You know, I just 20, less than 24 hours a day. I know I was fine. Now I'm sitting here doing this. So you're really, and you're scientifically, I'm trying to figure it out too. You know, I knew what was going on, but yet I didn't know what was going on because I had too many experiences there. So I remember going in and looking at the, uh, the corner of the hospital room and there was this little bitty light. And I thought, hmm, but that little light kept getting bigger and get bigger. And I thought, oh, this is bad, bad drugs. They've got me into bad drugs and now I'm seeing things. Well, the next thing I know, there was a figure that was as bigger as the hospital. And I knew it was Archangel Michael. I knew it was. And he came and I'm, I'm in the third floor and he's way past the sixth floor. And that's when I said, I'm not in the same land, same Oz. I don't understand how this or either. I'm going to call them and tell them that they've given me the wrong drugs. And now I'm having illusions. You know, I, or, uh, and it, so he comes back down and looks at me and he said, it's time for you to wake up. And I thought, oh, oh, wait a minute. I thought they're supposed to be nice. Not nice. This this being was so firm and so exact and got in my face. I mean, it was in my face. And he said, it's time for you to wake up. And I thought, okay, I'm really out of it now. And the next thing I know, he just kind of moves right on out. And he's standing outside of my window at the hospital. I said, that can't be, that cannot be normal. So I'm having all of these experiences. Then all of a sudden, I mean, I still can feel this woman in here, you know, there. But then I have all these angels that start coming around. But they were going through the wall, past the curtain, and they're going like in a circle. But they're talking to me like this. And I'm thinking, I can't even understand what they're saying. But in that process, there was somebody that came in to visit her. And being a teacher, understanding... There's always a narrator, and it was the National Geographic narrator, the Living Learning Channel. He was always on it. And this guy that is talking to her is the narrator of the National Geographic. I'm thinking, that, I've got this going on. So you've got a supernatural event going on or, you know, the real truth. And then you've got the illusion. And I'm thinking, and you're more closer to the illusion than you are with this because you've never had this experience so I remember thinking, that's not possible. So I guess everything kind of settled down. I remember, though, after they were leaving, the room went into gold, beautiful gold. And I thought, that, that's, that's not something I've ever seen before. It was not gold that we have seen here. This was such an illumination of gold that I, it's not even describable to understand. I want to I just ask one quick question before you continue it. You mentioned the Archangel Michael, and 
I just wonder what your thoughts are on this. Since you were Catholic or are Catholic, it's under the banner of Christianity, and the Archangel, Archangel Michael is something that maybe a Christian person would be familiar with. So what, I, what I'm asking is, do you think a Buddhist or Hindu person, just as an example, who doesn't have a awareness of the Archangel Michael, if they have a similar experience, do they meet him or do they meet someone that's more in tune with the Hindu and Buddhist beliefs? No, they will go through what they know. Got it. And so I had a Jesus experience and I learned this because also this is what I feel. And I can just, I feel like that's who we really are. I think we're fractions of everything that we've taken in on those higher levels of consciousness because Archangel Michael, Jesus, those are higher consciousness understandings. They are not human. They are supernatural. They are what, I mean, and when I say supernatural, it scares people, but it is, it's a different world. And, you know, we're light. We're light beings. We're electrical beings. So this flesh body is just holding our spirit. That's basically, so a lot of that I learned, but all of that process, the next day that woman did die. And uh, this is what amazes me. The nurse came in. Now, these nurses that I was in with, they were all my age, 46, 47. And they're looking at someone like me that looks healthy. I mean, I look, I mean, oh heck, I walk four miles a day. You know, I might have smoked a few cigarettes or I might have drank some drink, you know, alcohol, but I'm not anything doing. I mean, I'm out in the garden, I'm doing, and um, they were looking at me because it was scaring them. You could feel them. And in fact, I even said something to them later. But I asked them, I said, is, did that lady die? And she said, yeah. And I said, you know what the funniest thing was? I said, he sounded just like the National Geographic man. And she said, it was him. He flew in from California. I went, what, what, what? I knew spirit, knew I wouldn't believe all of that garbage that was going on with the, the angels. And he knew I was too much in my reality. I mean, my illusion that I would never believe when I so I knew immediately I told the nurse, I said, oh my God, I have had profound experiences going on in here. And so now remember when I got in there, they told me I couldn't get up. I had that I say a bag on me. They don't even do that anymore. And all of that. And they said, don't you dare move if you need to go to the bathroom, you need to touch because you could you bleed out. It'll kill you. And I thought, so they scared me enough on that. So I remember when I was doing really concerned and uh you know a lot of this started running in my mind and i thought wow this this is real you know and so they came in two nurses came in and said we're going to take you to uh the treadmill and i went what she said we're going to pick you up you're okay and i'm going to put you in a we're going to put you up to the treadmill on the next fifth floor of it. And um, your doctor is waiting for you. And I thought, wait a minute, wait a minute. I said, you told me that I'm not supposed to be moving and you're gonna put me in that wheelchair. Then you're gonna put me on a treadmill. See, now I knew, they, they knew what was going on. I did not, okay? I'm thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So um, I kind of, I thought, oh my God, they're gonna kill me. So I ended up, we going into the elevator and this is the one that really got me. There was another nurse in there and she said, would you touch me? And I thought, now I'm going to just, I was studying to be an actress. So if you're going to be a good actress, let's go into it. You know, so I you're said, like a, you're like a Renaissance woman, lifeguard, teacher. Oh yeah. Gardener, oh, actress. 
respect tech. Oh, honey, yeah. I've been on that front. You have a lot of talents. Well, it's a lot of things that draw you in to give you experiences to prepare for what is really coming. Because I'm really how I started doing all of this animal communication. I can communicate with animals. I can communicate with the plants. So I've been like this since I've been a child. I mean, this is my mother was like me, but she was scared of it. Okay. And I can do things that most thank God that I understand now because it's taken me this long of 25, 26 years to work on this because we're all like this. I'm not special. We all can do this. I'm not, I mean, I am not special that everybody can do this, but we've been so programmed to think less than. And I, and the reason why I'm the way I am is because I've already died and I've died nine times. So I really already know I don't have any fear of dying. And when they tell me I'm going to die, I just kind of joke. I thought, well, maybe it's about time to leave, you know? So but going back to that heart attack, I mean, it really did. When I went up there, there's that uh, cardiologist. He looks kind of like he's mad, you know, like he's got a pen on a chart. And I'm scared because I thought they're going to kill me right there in front of me, everybody. And they're going to get away with murder. So, you know, you've got this kind of crazy thought. But these nurses were so wonderful. They kept saying, you can do it. You can do it. And I thought, what are they saying to me? You know? Uh, so I got on the treadmill. They had done all of the stuff on me and uh, I was real very careful because I thought I was going to get that heart feeling again or and I just started moving and then I thought Ooh, I could well I was only there for two days that was second day so I mean that wasn't like I had been laying so I thought oh wow so I really didn't and then he says turn it up and it was like and I thought oh my god I'm back oh I'm back you know, and the nurses are going like this, and he is still doing this. So he said, turn it off. And he said, take her down to the uh, room. And now I I am wheelchaired into my room, and there's five men in there. There's the manager of the hospital. There's the cardiologist. There is my doctor from uh, my hometown, because he just did a three, uh, I think it was just like three weeks and completely going over what happened to me with the acid reflux and all that. So he's in there. Then my husband is in there and then somebody else is in there and they're discussing me. And they're discussing the cardiologist is explaining, well, this is called uh, shock heart. And I'm listening to them talking about me. And they keep saying, well, you know, it's because why I'm, he's saying this is because he's got to back up. He had just told me just the day before, after the surgery, after everything, you need a heart transplant. And he said, you and if you don't get that heart transplant, now you got to remember, this man already prepared me for a heart transplant and I refused him. And he looked right at me and he said, then you've got six months to live. I was like, uh, well, right there, I should have died right then. To be honest, I should have just died. And that's what I'm saying. That when all of this stuff with the angels, when everything was going on, I was also in that process of thinking, I'm going to die. I've got, a, I've got six months to live. And you start really thinking about, I'm not going to see my boys. I'm going to ever meet my friends again. You know, all of this starts rolling. Plus, you've got all this going on. And so it's, it was terrifying. And I remember 
I raised up out of that bed and I said, I call it miraculous healing. And then I laid back down and said, don't, don't, don't get upset. Don't get because I was so afraid it's going to have another heart attack. And they all turned around and they, and I said, that was a miraculous healing. I don't care what you call it, you know, and I was really mad about it because these five men were going to tell me my experience. And that's when it really does make me mad. And to this day, it makes me mad when somebody's trying to explain my experience and it's incorrect. So, but so after that, I mean, my, you know, everything kind of settled down and I I was going to leave the next day and my the nurses there, they were all, they were wonderful that night because they knew I was going to leave the next day. I mean, that's, they were going to watch me a little bit longer. And I said, can I just get up and take a bath or shower? And they said, sure. Now we're in the ICU, so they don't have any showers like everybody else. You have it where you could put a table in it and they could, you know, hose them down. And they gave me my towel. And these nurses were in their little counters and they sat and watched me walk to that by myself and completely healed. And they just, they clapped. And I thought, wow, they, you know, I'm still not realizing the depth of this because it's so much deeper. So I remember I walked out and they, they were just elated. And I should have, I still feel bad. I should have sent them, t you know, candy or done something, but I was so overwhelmed with everything else. So the next day they're getting me ready to go home. And this, this nurse came in and she said, may I tell you something? And I thought, sure. And she said, don't come back. And I said, what do you mean? Don't come back. She said, please don't come back. She said, you've given us hope. You've given us truth. You've let, let you, it can be done because she said you were pretty much hung out. They were, you know, now you've got to understand that's in 1998. So they could say, there's not the HEPA laws that, you know, they, those nurses were telling me, you know, and, uh, I said, I won't. And I remember saying, I won't come back. So I had another nurse that took me down to get back to my car. And she put her arms around me and said, please don't come back. You have given so much hope to this hospital. It resonates because of what you've done. And I thought, I haven't done anything. I'm just glad I'm alive, you know? So it took me, I mean, I was, uh, that summer break, I did not talk. I mean, I had people that came to visit me. Um, I was really pondering everything that happened to me. I'm trying to, you know, rationalize, figure it out. People would talk to me and I couldn't talk to them because I didn't even know who they really were, to be honest. I'm in a div. I'm in a total because I can see the grass talk. I can hear the trees. I'm in a totally different world of what I would call supernatural God, whatever you want. That is the real truth. But yet I'm still in the same world with these people that are in it. So they're asking me questions. I, there was, I couldn't answer anything because there wasn't any answers because it didn't match where they are going to go with. And um, I remember Mother Earth would come in and talk to me. I had Archangel Michael that came in. Now you've got to understand Jesus Christ, after I left my uh, job and I did that a year later, because I was told to leave my job. I walked out and um, and I was 50 years old in 2000. And I had profound experiences there. I mean, profound. If you really wanna, I was trained how to go into my body 
and how to move everything and understand the fascia. I mean, I used to sit on anatomy books. I'd have seven or eight and I just read them. And I didn't read them the same way I would read it when I was a student in university. I was seeing it from a whole different perspective. It was coming in. The words and the energies were coming in differently. And I could feel it coming through my body. I could see how things were like when I would sit and study my heart because I was really pissed at my heart. I will just be honest. I was I thought it failed me. And I went down and talked to my heart and my talk and my heart talked back to me and said, I, I didn't mean I said, you almost killed me. And I'm saying all of this inside, nothing outside because I was trained, nothing outside, everything inside. It's an inside job the way I look at it. And my heart said, I stuffed everything there so you wouldn't be pained and you wouldn't be upset. And I thought, you almost killed me. You stuffed up all the emotions that I needed to have to release all the chemistry out of my body so I would not have had another heart attack with you or had a heart attack with you. And there was a whole new alignment in my whole beingness about organs, blood, things that, you know, that you know. It's just a totally different experience. So I was trained that I, one day I came in, I was at my angel room. My husband had built an angel room during that time and I was learning to meditate. And uh, there was a person that came in. Now he was not a physical person. I got more physical, you know, non-physical people. Oso came in. I don't know. I didn't know who Oso was. He was standing there and he said you need to learn to meditate and i thought you say Oso, you mean osho or oso oh yeah i mean osho i never osho i never rajneesh is his other name i think yeah well and he came to me now i know nothing about any of this kind of information he said you need to meditate and i'm going to send you a book and i thought okay he was exactly right about uh two or three days later i had a friend who brought me a meditation book from him so there's a lot of connections that are being given that, you know, and I ended up get, meeting one of his uh, followers and I knew that he was there in her necklace because, I mean, because once you understand how this process works, that energy is everything it does. And you feel it because I can feel the density of a room. I know how to push it in. You know, I know how to bring it in, bring it out, uh, bring it. You know, I was trained that way. But first, through my own body. Well, let me ask and, a let me ask a quick question. Um, and we touched on it a little before, but I'm curious. Um, people who are, let's say, religious, they could be Hindu, Buddhist, uh, Jewish, Christian, Muslim, etc. Many of them are sure that they're correct. Like, let's say, for example, a, I'm not speaking for anyone in particular, but let's say there's a Christian person who says, "Look, unless you accept Jesus as the Son of God, you know X, Y, Z." Or a Jewish person that, or a Jewish person says, you know, Jesus is certainly not the Messiah. What a joke! Or a Muslim thinks what they think, and a Hindu believes what they believe, and a Buddha, excuse me, a Buddhist has a certain relationship with Buddha. And not all of them, but many of them. And I think even Confucian Confucianism is considered a religion by some, or a philosophy by some. But we'll call it a religion for the moment on the teachings of Confucius, which many Chinese people have adhered to when someone is sure that they're right they're sure that they are correct and everyone else is wrong what does that look like when they get to a similar point that you got to they tell me that i'm crazy that's they're saying 
Well, see, I did have a Jesus experience, but the Jesus that came to me, he showed me that he was light. Okay. I am, I was a Christian. I am not, I, I have a real hard time with Christianity, with anything, because that is still man-made. I believe there's two worlds. That's a man-made world and there's a uh, God world. And to me, you know what God means? Goodness over doubt. Stop doubting yourself. Because yeah. that's exactly what it is. Because we have been so programmed. See, I had to look. I mean, you, I have had to look very deep in my own brain because I've had two strokes as well and did not go to the hospital. And it took me nine months to be able to talk. It took me everything to bring everything down and bring it back into my mouth. And sometimes you're going to see me have glitches. I'm used to those glitches. I know exactly where to go in energetically. I've done that. That's why I said I've drowned twice. I was my mother's seventh miscarriage in 1951 and survived it. There's more to this story. You know, when you start looking, I drowned twice. I've had two heart attacks. I've had two strokes. In 2019, I was completely paralyzed from the neck down. And what saved my life was an MRI because I took in the magnetism and the electricity at the same time. Why and do you I'm think, by the way, this is the, um, why do you think that the medical community, and I'm not talking about every medical no. doctor in the world, because I'm sure there are some exceptions. There's some that are catching some there's some doctors are catching it. Right. But why do you think that the medical community and even uh, many so-called holistic doctors, quite frankly, are so clueless, like when they right in front of you were giving you these horrible suggestions, like if you don't do this, it's going to happen to you. And all like, why do you think that the majority of these doctors, medical and often others, are so clueless about the proper way to interact with a patient? Because first of all, fear, because they got to follow the protocol. This is all, this is, this is Rockefeller, honey. This is a Rockefeller, Rockefeller a system. And I mean, I know the whole thing. And remember, I'm a graduate student in, uh, you know, teaching. I sat down, this is what those five years to learn this, I had to learn that too, because I had to look at the real truth. The real truth is I mean, I'm going to have to go next week to a cardiologist and tell him that I've taken every bit of my medication out and it's going to freak, it'll freak him out because he's going to say, you know, he's going to hit me with, do you understand this, this, and this? I said, I understand this. I said, because okay. there's a lot more in it than that because they Let don't, oh, I'm sorry. sorry. No, no, no. Good. Excellent answer. Thank you for that. Let me ask you this. Um, I know that if I, if I read your biography correctly, um, you do and maybe instruct others on some meditation and some breath work and things like that. So here's my question. Like, for example, there are some, like I, just as a random example, there was a very famous uh, guru or metaphysical teacher named Gurdjieff. I don't know if you've heard of him. It doesn't matter. Uh -huh. But yeah. But Gurdjieff, among other things, said that breathing exercises should not be done. That was his belief. I'm not saying he's right or wrong, but wow. he said, do not do them. He said, I I don't know about that well then, obviously. Yeah, yeah. He, but, but whatever. So he said that. Now, of course, in the yogic um, tradition, there's what's known as pranayama, which is their breathing exercises. And obviously, many Indian yogis teach breathing exercises as being very important. But of course, Gurdjieff teaches it as not well, he's being thinking different. He's, he's talking about transformational breath like I am. That's what he's talking about because there is a breath within. But okay. it's yes. not oh, like oh. 
what I wanted to get to was, again, I'm, I, I'm not so interested whether, you know, breathing exercises are important or not. That's not really the point of my question. The point is that there's some legit sources, or here's another example. Some people say that juicing, you know, where you buy a juicer and you put carrots in and drink the juices. Some people think that juicing is very healthy for you. And there are some very smart people that say juicing is something you should not do. There's too much energy in that. You know, you're not made to drink 50 carrots and whatever. And again, I'm, this conversation is not about whether juicing is good or bad or breathing exercises. But what I'm asking is when you saw um, many of these, I, I guess I would call ultimate truths, does it really matter the method, like the breathing or the juicing or not breathing or not juicing? Or is there something, is there a consciousness that supersedes the methods people do, like the juicing or the breathing or being a vegan or fasting or eating meat? Is there, is there, a, is there, there, a, is a, there is a higher consciousness? Yeah. And that higher consciousness will come in because it still has to help you in your physical body if you're going to stay here. So you learn how to work off of your body because when I lay inside of my body, it's like points. I don't see organs. I don't see any of that. I go in and I can see the fine lines of electricity and all of that that comes in. So I've learned how to unravel, how to, un, you know, it's all frequency too. If I can go in real deep enough, I go into and I can, I can literally disappear because that's the way it does. I don't believe we have to do any of this garbage. If you want to know the truth, I think we can heal ourselves without anything. But if we don't understand how this works, and how this works and how this works, you're not going to miss it because it's going to be off. So it has to be aligned to a transformational truth. And you got to get off of your, uh, you got to clear your head off of everything. There is nothing here that you can even intervene in because it's all outside of you. And that's Excellent. where you have to go in. And to go yep. in the end is what I laid in. I used to lay in uh, meditation for 16 and 17, 18 hours a day. You mentioned um, also, I think, in your bio, um, an electromagnetic field that's in the body that plays a role in healing. Can you talk about that electromagnetic field in the body? Like, what what is that? How should it be respected? How should it be nurtured? How should it be dealt with? What What is the story with the electromagnetic field in the body? It's the most amazing thing because how I learned, first of all, I had to learn how to get into my own body and be stale in there and, you know, shut everything off. You can't go in with the mind that you've got everything going on outside of you. It just won't work because you're too distracted. So I remember laying down and one day I was trained to do it this way. Like every time I would go into a meditation, it said, you look at the clock and I would look at the clock and then I drop in with breath just come back in. And it was almost laying in my own casket. And I would be laying there and you'd be boxed in. You'd feel it. And then it said, can you expand yourself? And it started talking to me or I started moving my own self. And I could move and move my pelvic bone over to the other side and pop the other shoulder. Or I could come back up and I thought, this is working inside. It knows how to work inside. And uh, so one day I just came up because I wasn't doing very successful for six months. And one day I looked at the clock and I'd been in there for almost an hour and a half and I didn't know why. How did I get in there? What was going on in there? So that I'm curious. So I dropped back down and I said, I want to know. And I stayed in 16, 17, 18 hours a day. People said, there's no way you can do that. When you're with no time, then there is nothing a time. 
And so, I mean, I could have stayed in there and I lived there. I, I live here most of the time because I'm now I'm divorced and I've been teaching this for 26 years, but I'm just now seeing people are starting to get it. You know, I the, when I got those 7,000 uh, emails from that one video and all that I said is everything I've been saying all along. We all can do this. I'm not special. This is not gifts. And I want people, I get tired of hearing from the metaphysics people is this is, you know, this is gift. You don't have gifts. We've been given this. We were granted this, but we have never been given the opportunity to use it because we've been told it doesn't exist. And that's question, why we live. Question for you on that, on that note or a similar note. Um, you, you also, in your biography, I read something where you mentioned about forces that shape us, forces that shape us, um, and presumably their relation to, you know, obstacles, issues, problems people have, and understanding these forces that shape us um, in the idea of solutions for these issues. What, what can you say about these forces that shape us, and how is an understanding of them helpful in one's life? Well, I learned a lot from the near-death experience about how I had hurt people. Because when you, these forces that are outside, they're not outside of us, they're inside of us going out. And uh, what it's doing is showing what you have done. To, well, see, I believe we have a soul. And I believe we have a spark of that light. And my soul would basically say, I want you to look at what you said to this person. And I mean, they would take me into a room and I would, my whole company's called Revisions to review it again from a different state of mind. And that's what I was told. You're in a different state of mind. And when you're in a different state of mind, that means you've moved everything from a different illusion, that illusion to the reality of the true forces that are here, trying to guide you, to show you. And, you know, that's why that is there. That's why you have a good and a bad. But the whole thing about the good and the bad is you have to work the good and the bad together to get the narrow road of it. Because I used to teach just the first five or six years of our shadow work. How in the world did we, you've got to look at everything. Now you can go when you grow over and I tell people, my clients, and my, when you go over, you're going to learn it anyway, because you're not going to have a body anymore. And you're going to look at yourself. It is not going to be uh, being like God. It's going to be a light. That's an intelligence that has more than you can ever met. And, but truly loves you from every cell in you. And you have never experienced that because we're never allowed to experience that. Because we've all got these obstacles that we run in here. So we won't, because the heart is the electromagnetic field. It's always been that part. So, Let me ask, sorry. Oh, no, go on. Let me ask you this. Excellent information there. Thank you. Let me ask you this. Some people, when they want, I, I'd like to get your thoughts on this. This is very important and something that I'm sure you have a lot to say on that could be very helpful to people. Let's say there's someone who says, well, I want X, Y, Z. I want to achieve X, Y, Z. So they like to pray. Whatever their whatever their conception of prayer is, they they pray. They ask for these things. That's that's one way that people might do it. Other people might do what's called imaging, where they'll just kind of close their eyes or maybe leave their eyes open. I don't know, and just imagine certain things. They try to identify with certain things through their imagination to manifest and create these things. It's kind of like prayer. It's almost like a secular version of prayer. Or, or, or maybe not. Um, 
then some people like uh, I think like this the Stoics like if you look at the Stoic philosophy like Marcus Aurelius and Epictetus yes. I think Seneca Seneca was one of them I think their attitude is you can't really influence many things but at least you can have a good attitude so you have to understand there's many things that are beyond your control but there are certain things in your control like your attitude toward things so you know try to have a good attitude but these things these other things are outside your control so don't even, again, I don't want to misquote the Stoics, but I think they're saying like, don't even pray for those too much because you can't really influence them. Where someone who might pray, the first example I gave, they might say, no, I, I can influence things by prayer. So I'm just wondering, how do you look at this whole equation with what you understand now? Well, first of all, there's seven natural laws and we've never been indicted, you know, in brought into the natural laws. I got, because it's all about vibration, frequency, it's, it has nothing to do of wanting something it's about asking for the divine order divine timing divine plan and make it easy that's all you need to say because you only want what is really truly yours i don't want anything that is not mine and when we bring in a lot of stuff and that's what we've been trained to do is bring in stuff but you know, and i'll tell you exactly i had a 4500 square foot house I had a pool in the back backyard. I had a Mercedes sitting out there. We had it all. We had the farm. We had, but when I woke up, that was not even that, oh, it was empty. Because what I had experienced was more than any, that's the riches that, and, and that's what Jesus did tell me. There's a Bible within the Bible and you've got to go in because it's a deeper understanding of what's going on. Not this shadow and the surface up here. There is, there are, I have studied all these different people. I get a book, I open it up and it'll tell me exactly where I dive into it. And I don't need to see anything else because see, we're trying to read everything. We're trying... First of all, words are flat. The energy behind the words is what makes it. And if you go back down and look at what they've been mind controlling us for a long time. I mean, I studied all this, man. I studied. I had I had the best teacher, me, my higher consciousness. And this is what you've got to learn. This is what you're going to do. This is how you're going to teach. And I mean, that's how I've been living for the last 26 years. And when they told me that, you know, when I had this heart attack two years ago, and I was in, I knew I was having a heart attack because I had people flying in from uh, Delaware. And I said, well, I'm not going to go in there until I get this done. It said, you're okay. And I went in, I took a two hour, you know, I did a two hour and a, I think it was two and a half sessions with them. They left, got my car, went to the ER and they know me so well. I said, I need the EKG and I need a blood work right now. And they don't have, and, uh, and they said, you're having a heart attack. I said, I already knew I am. I said, well, I was in there for 24 hours because I did not follow their protocol. Because I knew why I had that heart attack in the first place because I was mad at my ex-husband and my sons. And I was furious. You have no idea because I was under domestic violence because of this. Uh, I stuck, I mean, my, my hometown thought I was crazy. I mean, I was well reserved, you know, I mean, honored here in this town. I was born and raised here. And then the next thing I know, I've got people who think I'm crazy as hell. And this is what's going to happen. And I stuck. And I knew it's the same thing like those vaccines and everything. I've been telling people this for 25 years. You better wake up because they're going to sell you down the river. And they've already done. Now I'm working. This is, with in, uh, this is in Kentucky, right? When you say your town in Kentucky. Yeah, this is in Kentucky, but this is in the world. 
I have people all over the world. Since I, when that Jeff Marr thing came in, I've had seven to 8,000 people that I've been working with all over the world. And what am I talking? This. Because the only way they can save themselves is this. Question for you. When, when, um, when someone, just whoever that is, just someone seems to be, I mean, you can't really tell for sure, but seems to be what would be considered a nice, good person, just to simplify it. And then, unfortunately, terrible things might happen to them, let's just say, in this example. And let's say someone else appears to be kind of a mean person, but somehow they achieve what's known as success. I mean, obviously, it doesn't always happen like that, but I'm just giving these examples. We see this and all then, the time. That's people and, right, and, then, and, then, and then sometimes you're, you know, the observer says, man, that's so interesting. That's such a nice person. I wonder why these things are happening to them. And someone else, they go, man, that person's mean and bad. I'm surprised they're so successful. I don't understand with this energy they're putting out into the world. How do you look at those if it happens like that? doesn't always happen like that. No, but it if it does. no I, I hear this all the time. I hear people say, I've done everything. And I said the same thing. I followed the rules, A, B, C, D, and I had a heart attack. I've lost all my family, everything. How does the hell does that work? This is how it works because I had to get kicked out and see the truth because I came in here as a truther. I came in here, I'm not, you know, yeah, I, you know, I am a flat earther, all of that. I don't care anymore because people better work. You know, what I see is everybody came here with a soulful intent to learn. This is a soul lesson. This is school down here. You're learning though, we've been so programmed in our physicality that we've not, we've missed our soul experiences that is so rich and so full of it. And that's what the Bible talks and you can't, what you're doing is it's rich inside. You can't beat this because you can't buy it. You can't own it. It's already there, but you've got to seek it. It's got to find you. And if you don't have a relationship with that, you'll never make it. I, and I get up and I said, there's a lot of people, a lot of, sadly, a lot of Christians think that they're going to be saved and you have never had a relationship with that. You've had a relationship with the church. You've had a relationship with the minister. And on top of all of this, my husband and I, uh, he was molested by a priest. And this is why I came in. I want you to understand there's a lot of things that I have done in my lifetime that most people say, how in the world? Because my soul said, this is what I want to do because I'm not coming back. You know, I don't have to do this game anymore. So I remember when I woke up, and that was about a year and a half after my uh, near-death experience with my heart attack, I was sitting on the toilet, this is true, and a man walked through my door, and he was a, it was a priest, and I recognized who it was because it was my husband's uh, mentor or whatever, but he's the one who molested him. Now, I did not know anything about my husband being molested, and I'm a psychiatric social worker on top of being a teacher. So add I, that to list. You got you got a long, I got to add that to your list after the vet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was a, a psychiatric social worker. So I'm sitting there. What did I work with? You know, sexual abuse and abuse of children. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, and then what he did, he telepathically, I said, Who, why are you here? He said, you're, well, he said, Ron will not forgive him. Forgive him. I thought, what are you, what are you talking about? Forgiving you. So he shows me in my mind state of what he did to him from the age of 10 to 16. 
Now, you got to understand, I'm a psychiatric social worker. I lost it. Now, at that time, for a year and a half, my family thought I was nuts. They were thinking about having me committed. Okay. You know the sad thing? And I was a psychiatric social worker and I went into the asylum. When I went into the lock ward, those are people like me. That's the sad thing. They're like me. And I've gone to asylums. I've gone in there because they're not being heard from because nobody, they don't want to register that because they can't measure it. They can't control it. They don't know what to do with it. That's why I was thinking about, about the asylums. Um, if you look at, you can find this online. If you look at pictures, they have like these small towns, like small towns in Kentucky or Ohio huh? in like the year, like 1890. And they have these huge buildings. I mean, huge, like these, these castles, which are asylums, insane asylums. And I used to always wonder, I'd say this city, you know, this town in Kentucky or Ohio or wherever in 1890 had like 18,000 or 9,000 people. Why do they need an asylum that holds, you know, 4,000 people? That one in Lexington, Kentucky. Right. And and it's, you know, and who I never thought about it, but maybe whoever. Well, whoever was in charge. Right. These people, well, let's go all the way back into the 1700s. I've gone into prisons of the 1700s because I traveled different places and I would go. Now, also, I see things. I see aura and I see ghosts. I see everything. So when I'm in, I know everything, shadow work, all of that. And I remember when I look at them, because also you can shapeshift and I see people shapeshift. And uh, so that's a lot of times when they're coming in, people come in, they'll think that they're crazy. And I have now a lot of people in my hometown will send people to me thinking that, you know, tell us if they're really crazy or not. Because <laughs> some of it, I have people who are afraid to come in to see me, but they'll send people in to see me. Because they've seen, you know, it's like, uh, Jenny, please. Uh, talk to this person. Would you call them? I said, why didn't they just text me? No, 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 no. I mean, I laugh because I have dear friends who say somebody's dying, and this has happened a lot. Uh, the, a friend of mine's nephew was in the process of dying. He had a virus in his heart, and he was like 36. He was young. And her family is scared of me because they think I'm a witch. Okay. Now, she knows I'm not because she knows a, a lot like me and she she's very intuitive. And so she called me and she said, I need help. And so he was at the hospital in Frankfort, Kentucky, which is probably 30 miles, you know, 30 minutes away. And I just arced over and I talked to him and she saw me talking to her nephew. And I looked right at him and I said, you've got two choices in or out. You want to go now? I can help you do that. Or do you want to stay here and try to work it out to see what you can do? Because your heart is about love and you haven't loved yourself. And he chose love and stayed there. And they said, watch, if she watched it. And then he, within two, I think two or three days, he was gone. You know, he left. Now, I've done that several, several times. People will call me. It's not about me. It's about my relationship to the consciousness of what's going on. I'm not tapping into me. I'm tapping into the consciousness. And if you want to say God or goodness over doubt, because that's how I was given that instruction. I had uh, the spirit of God came in one day and it did G-O-D. And I thought, what in the world? Goodness over doubt. Stop doubting yourself. 
That's the biggest. Yes. When you when you um, look at quantum physics, so for example, let's say let's say you lived four hundred years ago and you had the exact same experience that you had in nineteen ninety eight. There was not the development or even the establishment, as far as I know, of quantum physics to really understand um, or scientifically quantify some things you're talking about. Of course, metaphys uh, metaphysics and metaphysicians have been talking about these things for. Right. And even in India for 4,500 years, they've been talking about this stuff. Um, but my question is, now that we're in 2024 and quantum physics exists, how it exists, how close are they to really understanding what you're talking about? Current quantum physics. You mean the controllers? Well, I'd say I'd say quantum physics as it's being taught and explored and understood. It's not right. It's not right. I've been over. When I went over, I learned quantum. I went over because I was in a meditation of 16 hours. I went over and I was, you don't need any mathematics. That's all, that's all in the world of man. All you have to do is think it. And it's not, but it's not thinking in the using of the brain the same way. It's coming through here. It's a focus. And then you, you can go from dot to dot to dot. And, you know, you, you, I know, I know quantum because I'm light. And I mean, well, it's just like, teaching them how to utilize this. The first time I ever teach people how to ground themselves, how to really, and then take the energy and come down through their body. And they go, what is that? I said, that's you. That's all of us. We're in the plasma of the whole thing. But what we've been trained to be is boxed in. So we never see the real, see, you can feel this in me. This makes me furious because I look back, what could I have done if I had been nurtured in this? I mean, you see how good I am now. And I'm not that, I, I mean, I'm sure you're just as good. I've watched your stuff. I've looked at you. I mean, Elwood sent that to me. But think of what we could have done. So why aren't we doing it now? If we know this, why are we holding back? I'm tired. I mean, I've been doing it for 26 years. I've been talking about this. And family, you're the first doctor, first doctor that even wanted to talk to me. You don't think I wasn't jumping around the house and everything else? Because we need to break that myth. They need to have people like me sitting in an operating room to stop the blood. We, they were doing this eons ago. And we were told that's not true. Oh, yes, it was. Because we we didn't talk a lot. And you know, you know I, it's interesting. I just want to tell you on that note, you'll like this. One of my mentors, um, who was a direct student of Dr. Fleet, who... Um, was a great healer. One of my mentors who was a direct student of Dr. Fleet, who I spent a lot of time with, uh, his, you know, his wife had to have a small procedure. It was like a, derm a dermatological procedure. I think she had like a, some kind of mole like on her nose or something. And they said to him, oh, do you want to come in the room when we, when we remove the mole? And he said, okay, whatever. It was pretty big, I think. So, you know, the doctor, whatever they did, they and then, yeah, you know, I had it. I had it yeah, right here. yeah. And when they finish doing it, obviously they do something to stop the bleeding. I don't know what they do and they bandage it up. But for some reason, the blood wouldn't stop. I mean, it was it was not a life threatening thing. She wasn't going to bleed to death through this thing. No, on her knees. 
but but it, it it would not stop and the doctor was getting very frustrated because he couldn't stop the bleeding i mean it was he was almost confused work right and uh my mentor walked over it was his wife and he and he said um blood stop and it just stopped on the spot now i'm i'm not expecting everyone to understand that but um it happened and uh, no, he was he was he was tapped in and uh he was there no, yeah, do- I've, seen it. <laughs> I've done it enough So when you have that experience, that is strength because it's a different, it resonates differently, vibrationally differently because that's the connection. It has a different vibration. That's why I'm saying we could sit down. If you could teach people this, just a small group of us, and we focus on that, you don't think that these people are not scared of us? You you know, it's it's interesting. Um, This is really, you know, my, my school... I teach again any doctor or healer, and I literally have some massage therapists. I mean, they're massage therapists, so not to right again. I I, I not to discount massage therapy or I their know, education or anything, but let's face it, massage therapy school. What is it like one year? You know, which is fine. But my point is, if your average person looks at a massage therapist and looks at like a medical doctor or some other kind of you know, they might think what they think, but the massage therapists who are in my school learning about the healing, I would put the healing results they get, again, the massage therapists in my school learning what they're learning, I'd put their healing results against anyone, against anyone in the living. I have two of them, malfascist practitioners, and one of them is a doctor for uh, physical therapy. They've been working with me for over 20 years, and they, they, I mean, it's incredible what we can do on a table energetically and that's what i've been doing and training them because that's why one just went into john barnes's stuff because i love john barnes i really enjoyed what he was saying because i lifted and i didn't go all they had to do is come back and tell me what they learned i went in and i taught it to myself you don't have to do anything hard if you're doing it hard stop right then you need to get still so virginia let me ask you a question as we start to wrap up I know it's um, uh, a big task to summarize this amazing knowledge in you know a few short words, but if you had to kind of um, distill, just for this purposes, I'm sure in your teaching you spend a lot of time, but for the purposes of this at the moment, if you had to distill um, what you've um, seen and explain you know, just some points which are helpful in life, so to speak. How would you summarize it? What would you say? I say this a lot. Be honest with yourself. I'm not going to say honesty in the world of man. I'm talking about the honesty of truth within. Uh, stop being afraid. Fear. There's only two emotions here, fear or love. And if you're in fear, you need to bring that fear in and address it to find out why it's holding you back to be in the love of what you came in here for. And it's work, it's deep work. It's the most important thing you could ever do is finding out who you truly, truly are. You're not the programs that were given you by your parents, your school, your you know, your community. Find out who that is within. That's the best thing I could teach anybody. Be true to thyself. That's a great list. Okay, so Virginia, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That was a great interview. I hope a lot of people benefit from it.
and um, I'm sure we'll be in touch. Well, I would really like to work with you. I think that I want I would like to bring my two in and let's really see how it really works because I've seen it. And and you I do appreciate you. Thank you. I'm totally open to that. Thank you again. Okay, well you have a wonderful day.